You start to get busy and you want to tell your customers more and more things about the brand and all the awesome things you can do for them. But essentially, you've just got to go back to that one message. And if you want the customer to get that message, you need to just be throwing that one message at them the whole time. Hey, welcome to the Lady Brains podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for female founders and founders to be. We're chasing down the most successful female entrepreneurs from around the globe, not only to hear their life story, but to extract their knowledge and world-class insights. If you're curious and ambitious, then Lady Brain, you are in the right place. Get ready for some hard-hitting truths, a dose of inspo, and learnings you can apply right away. Strap in. Kayla Houlihan is a really interesting case study. She's the founder of Tribe Skincare, a range of beauty products that focus on sensitive skin. Kayla got her start working as a skin therapist in her family's clinic in Geelong. And while working closely with her clients, she identified a need for sensitive skin products that simply didn't exist. That was the inspiration for Kayla to start Tribe Skincare. With just 20k to invest, Kayla launched with four products. And only a few months in, she was turning over $90,000 a month, allowing her to quit her job and focus on the business full time. Kayla's gone on to develop over 15 SKUs. She has a very loyal customer base and she's grown Tribe Skincare into a multi-million dollar business. The dream. One interesting thing is that she experienced rapid growth by focusing on building a business, not necessarily focusing on building a brand. Building a business versus building a brand. This is a really great success story. So today we want to talk about all things Tribe Skincare, the brand. But before we kind of dive into the brand, you know, you've been building this business for three years. You've been spending your time focusing on like the real business side of things, the logistics, the operations, your margins. And, you know, while we want to kind of focus on brand, we also want to dive into that side of the business first and learn a little bit about how you came up with the idea in the first place. So you were a skincare specialist. Can you kind of take us back to that time in your life and how that informed the Tribe Skincare concept? Yeah, absolutely. It seems like so long ago that I had that skin clinic with my sister, but that was such a crucial experience for shaping everything that Tribe Skincare is today. I think that's why I've also been so focused on business for the last three years because I already had that business experience from the skin clinic and they were my transferable skills that I thought I could bring to Tribe. Forgot a little bit about the brands, but we'll talk about that later. So um, working at the skin clinic that's where I saw that gap in the market for skincare for sensitive skin. And at the time, I definitely wasn't looking to start a second business. It just sort of happened accidentally. So we were retailing products or skincare to our clients at the time so they could get really good results at home. And in salon, your clients are looking for results. So you usually go down the way of using medical grade active skincare, which was getting some of our clients incredible results. But then on the flip side, we had customers who would try to use it and they would end up with adverse reactions because their skin was so sensitive. So they would be getting redness and dry patches. So we were basically just looking for something to sell in our skin clinic that would help our clients with sensitive skin. So we're doing so much research. We wanted it to be an Australian made brand because that was really important and all of our brands within the clinic were, but we just couldn't find anything out there. And there was a few brands that might have a few products for sensitive skin or a small range, but there was no one exclusively focusing on it. So my idea was to create these products for sensitive skin so I could bring them into my own skin clinic. And then I very quickly learned with things like minimum order quantities, it wasn't going to be viable to create a skincare range that was just going to be sold in our clinic. And I was naturally going to have to go online so I could find more customers or clients, <laughs> as we call them, and make this a real thing. So I guess that's where the idea came from. It was just that gap in the market and Somehow, I guess I naively thought with my tiny bit of business experience that I could be the person to come in and fill that gap. Isn't it great that you were able to use your clinic to trial the products on Absolutely. your own customers? I mean, that's a huge advantage. Huge advantage. And even just working in the skin clinic, I would see about 10 clients a day. So that's 50 women a week, some men as well. And we were working on their skin concerns. So I knew what the problem was. And then we were finding that they had this problem, but we couldn't find them the solution. 
Ironically, the clinic was called Skin Solutions. So (laughs) (laughs) when we couldn't find this solution, I was like, okay, we need to create this solution. That's essentially what Tribe Skincare was for. So once you identified that gap and you decided that you wanted to focus on, uh, you know, products for sensitive skin, how did you get your idea off the ground? How did Tribe Skincare come about? With a lot of great Googling, I still Google absolutely everything in business. I think 95% of founders, maybe even more, when we're starting out, we don't know what we're doing. You could have all the contacts in the world, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to do your own research on things. And Google was absolutely incredible for that. So literally just Googling, how do I find a manufacturer? Who do I need to work with to get a skincare brand up and running? And you'll find blog posts, YouTube videos, so much information on the internet about it all. When we started, so I say we because my sister was helping me (laughs) with all of this, Um, but back when Tribe Skincare started, we launched with just four essential products and they're essentially our MVPs. So at the time, I wouldn't have even known what an MVP was, a minimum viable product, but that just made the business, I guess, easier to get off the ground that we were just focusing on getting those four products to market. Those four products we originally launched with don't actually exist today. So that's why I'm calling them the MVPs. So it was basically getting the skincare out into the market and seeing what everyone thought of it. And amazingly, everyone absolutely loved it. So we had clients and customers, the clients of the salon and the customers are online. They were um, all giving it five-star reviews unprompted and sending in their before and afters and getting the most incredible results. And best of all, they were coming back to repurchase because with skincare, that's what you want. You want people to have a long-term relationship with it and keep coming back for more. So yeah, when it hit the market, it um, went so well. So there really was that gap in the market. And from there, we've been talking to our customers for the last three years to improve the products. So they've, for example, I'll use the cleanser, which is our bestseller. When it first launched, it was beautiful and soft and balmy for sensitive skin, which all of the clients loved. But what they didn't love is that they found it didn't take off their makeup effectively. So then we've gone through, reformulated that product. So it's now better at removing the makeup. So where did you find your first customers? So obviously you had the clients at the salon, which, you know, you were able to um, trial the product on, but your first customers online, how did you find those people? So it was all through Instagram at the start. And I think I just got on at a good time. I can't say that I was amazing at Instagram because I didn't know what I was doing at the time. But it was really that peak when the customers were shopping on Instagram. They were scrolling their feeds at night and looking for something and exploring so many different brands and pages. And they would come to our page. Our message was so clear at the time that we're skincare for sensitive skin. So it's one of those things where you can't be something for everyone but you can be the perfect something for someone. So they would come to our page. If they had sensitive skin and they were looking for skincare, they knew we were perfect for them. We also found, um, we got a lot of clients from Facebook groups that I was in. So a particular business group I was in, and this wasn't actually a strategy. It was just sort of an accident that happened, a good accident, um, that I started sharing my business journey in a business group, just right from the beginning saying, this is my first products and this is an achievement we've had and this is a struggle I'm having and sharing that journey with so many business owners who um, happened to be females and some of them had sensitive skin. So then they actually became customers as well. Well, that's where I discovered Tribe Skincare through a Facebook group. And I just love the honesty and transparency around how you were building the brand at the time and the way that you shared your story, which is quite unique. You know, I think a lot of brands, a lot of businesses, it's all smoke and mirrors. And, you know, we try and, you know, show, not show too much, but you did the opposite. And I love that. Yeah, I think it's definitely work to my advantage and disadvantage. I can see why I guess some company information needs to be kept sacred. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> Which is something I've learned over the three years to um be a sharer, but not an oversharer. Over yeah, yeah. yeah. But we all it, overshare, don't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. But it definitely got people engaged in the journey because they had seen it right from the beginning and were essentially watching the brand grow up and go from strength to strength over the years. That's it. You had buy-in from the get-go. Yes, absolutely. Yep. So we want to talk money, cash money, because I think it's always really, you know, it can always be, it can be a barrier for so many people starting brands, you know, not being sure how much money they need, not being sure how to spend that cash. So 
when you were getting those first four products off the ground and you were, you know, creating your visual identity for your brand and building your website, how much cash did you put into the business? The cash I put into the business was purely for those four products. So at the time in my naive business state, I thought products were a business. So I hadn't made a business plan. I hadn't done a marketing plan. I just paid for these four products to be um, formulated and manufactured. And that cost me about $20,000 because we did small batches. That to me at the time was so much money. Like I'm like, I have $20,000 riding on this. And then I had about another 20,000 just saved up that I could use for cash flow. And um, yeah, basically just getting through all the business expenses that pop up. Um, it seemed to work quite well in terms of cash flow. Like I've never had to get any sort of business loan or anything like that. I've always managed just to put the money back into the business. But a big mistake I made is I didn't invest in brand at the time. So I just kind of, because I thought the whole business was these products, I didn't really think about what they looked like, what our visual identity was and what the brand actually stood for. Now, three years later, I'm going back to square one and looking at all of that again. So if anyone is starting out, I would definitely recommend that they invest the money in brand and make sure they've got enough cash flow for things like marketing. I was testing Facebook ads with like $10 a day and I thought that was so much money. I'm like, oh my God, I'm spending $70 a week on Facebook ads, which like was getting me absolutely nowhere. You can't yeah. test the market with $10 a day. So you need to have like a really decent marketing fund ready to go if you're launching a new brand. It is really interesting though, because I mean, Caitlin and I are absolutely brand people. We come from brand backgrounds. Mm. We absolutely believe that brand is so critical in order to kind of get cut through in a really cluttered market. But, you know, you invested all of your time and energy in creating really strong product that worked and your business has, you know, grown astronomically over the last three years. So it is an interesting discussion. Like Mm. what is more important, product or brand? Yeah, it is interesting. I think um, brand now I can see it's such an important part of your business and brand needs to come first. You need to have your brand figured out before you create your business. Otherwise, like me, you're three years down the track, you've got a really strong business. But when I'm going back to look at brand, that's going to filter through the entire business and change every single thing about the business, which is going to mean I'm, you know, fixing things and putting work in where if I had to put the work into brand at the start, I might not have to do it now. Mm. But can I can I say, I mean, I feel like you were very clear on your purpose from the beginning. And that is a big part of the brand. You know, you obviously, you knew your market, you knew your customer. You also knew that, you know, you were trying to solve a problem in terms of skincare solution that would work. But you were very clear from the get-go. So that is, you could almost argue that you were building the brand, the fundamentals of the brand which now you can start to kind of, you know, build on top of. But do you think you were relatively clear from the get-go? Yeah, it's definitely been clear to me because we were a business with a purpose and our purpose was to create skincare for sensitive skin. So the core of the brand has always been there. I think I just didn't have the understanding of the importance of that. And especially in the last 12 months, I feel like I lost sight of it. So I spent two years telling everyone we're skincare for sensitive skin. And then I guess I just kind of got to a point where I thought everyone already knew. And I was feeling like I was constantly repeating myself and just kind of, I guess in the last 12 months, I feel like the business got more into like a transactional stage. So it was very much like, we're selling skincare, people were buying it. And I think that was a lot to do with the fact we were going through a global pandemic and businesses were going into survival mode. So it was very much about that. And now I'm seeing, I'm like, no, we're so much more than that. We've got to get back to our roots. We're skincare for sensitive skin. We need to scream it from the rooftops, tell every single person. And also our brand values. So the fact we're Australian made, all natural, vegan and cruelty free, we need to also communicate that without people feeling like we're giving them a hundred different messages. So I guess even though the brand core and concept has been there from the start, it's just working out a bit of a hierarchy so we can get the message across in a bit more of a coherent and articulate mm-hmm. way. Makes sense. What was the sort of impetus or I guess 
the moment where you really sat back and went like, okay, brand is where I'm going to focus my time and attention and energy? Because I think, you know, in business, everything is a trade-off. You know, money's finite, time's finite. What was the moment where you decided, yeah, okay, brand is going to be the critical piece of work that's going to step change, you know, the growth of my business? So I guess for the three years, we've essentially been an e-commerce brand that the products are only available on the Tribe Skincare website. And in a way, because we had so much success on Instagram and that's where all the customers came from, I feel like it almost became a little bit like we're one of those Instagram brands, if that makes sense. And I don't think that three years down the track, that's where the brand sits anymore. We're not just like a fluffy brand that advertises on Instagram. It's serious skincare and we want it to be considered one of the big players in the skincare industry. Part of that plan is to get into retail stores. So with skincare, we know our customers want to touch and feel. They're basically having to have trust in us and order it online and they're trying it out at home, but we want them to have the opportunity to try it out in store and get that personalized advice. We actually have a store attached to our warehouse, which we can see how much joy it brings the customers to come in and try the products in store. So yeah, we really want to get it into a retailer. And I can see that to make that happen, we need to be a strong brand because it's not just about the product. It's about having that strong branding concept behind it, making sure it looks absolutely amazing on the shelf and can essentially sell itself for the retailer because it's going to have to be a partnership that works Mm -hmm. for them and works for us. And is that feedback that you've received from retailers already? Like, is that something that people had said to you? You know, I think that you need to refine your brand before you kind of pursue this retail path. Yeah, so not so much from the retailers directly, but from brands that have their product in retail. So I've been talking to people who have their products in Woolworths, have their products in Mecca and all of the major stores and just looking at what they do differently to us. And then we've had some marketing and branding experts basically coming in and having a look at the brand and working out where the brands can be different to get it into retail. So I think the biggest disconnect at the moment would probably be our visual brand. And our visual brand is strong in terms of it's so recognisable, which has worked to our advantage because I always think about how they say you need to see a product or a brand seven times before you Mm. remember it. I feel like with Tribe Skincare, you only need to see it one or two times (laughs) and you remember it. (laughs) So that was worked so much to our advantage that people would say to us, I'm seeing your brand everywhere. And then they would list like two places they've seen it, but they just feel like it's everywhere because it was recognizable. (laughs) Memorable. Yeah, it's very memorable. So we need to still have that working to our advantage, but just find a way, I guess, to make it a bit more coherent when on the, like the way you look at it on a shelf. It just needs to look on point. So are you planning a full rebrand or do you feel like it's going to be more of a brand evolution? It's going to be a pretty full on rebrand. So the way we're seeing it, the only things that are remaining the same is the name Tribe Skincare, our core brand. So the fact we're skincare for sensitive skin and our brand values of being natural, vegan, cruelty-free and made in Australia. We want to add another brand value of being a more eco-friendly brand. Um, So that will remain and the actual skincare formulas themselves are going to remain because we just have them absolutely perfected. I think our customers would lose their minds if we were changing (laughs) them. Don't change something that works. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I think a big part of it is just working out that hierarchy, as I was saying, of how we get our message across in a more coherent way without just saying skincare for sensitive Mm. skin over and over again. Um, working out where we kind of sit with our tone of voice, that will be changing a bit. And then the visual brand identity will be changing. Still have that tribe skincare flair, but okay. it's going to look very different. Is I it? don't know yeah. what it's going to look like, but I know it will be different. Do you have a vision in your mind of what this new brand identity looks like? Yes. I have a bit of a vision and I just need to see if it's possible. And I guess see it like visually how it looks in my mind is going to be different to how it visually looks mm, when yeah. it's an actual product in front of me. How exciting. It's yeah. Because your brand is very, it's like very playful, fun, yes. tongue in cheek. Like your tone of voice is quite funny and energetic and it's got pizzazz. Is that something you want to retain? Yes, absolutely. So the brand, it's going to have that same feel. 
just a slightly different look and just a little bit more of going back and crossing the T's and dotting the I's Mm. or dotting the I's and crossing the T's, however the saying goes. Um, We just basically need a brand Bible so that there's a bit more consistency across everything. So we've got that kind of playful fun, but then sometimes we're more like educational and we want all of that to remain, but just to kind of all work together rather than it feeling a little bit chaotic. Mm. And it's really easy when you're sort of, you know, you're running a business and you kind of, you have different products or different campaigns or different ideas and you're kind of managing the branding yourself. It's very easy for things to slowly creep and get a little bit messy and a little bit messy and a little bit messy. I mean, we've even experienced mm-hmm. that in our business, you know, we'll, we'll experience brand creep, I guess. And we did a project last year to kind of consolidate everything and create a really strong um, set of guidelines for the brand, which is super helpful, especially when you bring on board new suppliers and all of that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a fun piece of work. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I just think as the team grows as well, it'll be great Mm -hmm. to have a Bible that everyone's on the same page. We talk about the skincare in the same way and yeah, just have that consistency. And as the brand starts to evolve and, you know, your new identity um, is shared with, with the market, how important is your personal brand and you telling the story? Do you plan on being the face of the brand? Because, I mean, you have been all over social media sharing the story. Is that something you will continue to do? Yeah, it's something I've struggled with because I've always seen it. I'm not an influencer. I'm not a celebrity. So I've sort of been like, who am I and why do people want to hear what I have to say? So I think the first probably 12 to 24 months, I really put myself out there. I showed up on the story every single day and we talked to our audience. And I think that's been great because even though I'm not an influencer or celebrity, people still like to see the people behind the brands. And it can almost work to my advantage as well, that it is authentic, that I'm just your sort of everyday person. For 2020, Being in a global pandemic, things were very overwhelming and I had my staff member leave one week before we went into lockdown, just coincidentally. So she had her own side business and went full time with that the week before lockdown. So during lockdown, I was doing every single thing by myself. Everything was at home. I was sending out orders, getting everything done from the house. And I think the easiest place to cut was to cut telling my story. So I didn't do any interviews, any podcasts like this, absolutely nothing to do with my founder story for 12 months, purely for time. And also because everyone was so glued to the news of what was going on and thinking about their health and their future and their jobs. And I thought, no one's interested in hearing my story this year. Um, I think a big thing for 2021 is I do want to get back into building my personal brand and how that fits in with Tribe Skincare, because I've seen it has been quite detrimental that I've stopped telling my story. I think that's where we sort of lost sight of the brand, what it stands for and all the brand values. And as I was saying, went more into like a transactional business. So I think a huge part of getting out of that and building the Tribe Skincare brand is going back to building my personal brand as the founder. And are you planning on doing that in a similar way to how you used to do it, which is, you know, showing up in the Facebook groups, sharing your story, doing vlogs, you know, the Instagram stories, the podcasts. Is that going to be your strategy this year as well? Yeah, I think I'll go back to what I was doing just because that's what feels authentic to me. So I just find some founders are so amazing at telling their story and no one else is ever going to tell your story like you do, but I've never felt like I'm really great at public speaking or anything like that. So I'll never be one of those founders that's like standing up on a stage talking to people about my brand journey because that would just be so overwhelming. I feel more comfortable filming at home in my lounge room on Instagram or yeah, doing that kind of thing, putting myself out there in Facebook groups and on social media. Did you always find that comfortable? Because I would argue that a lot of people find that very uncomfortable showing up live on a story on Instagram for everyone to see. Yeah, I would hate to see the first story <laughs> I ever recorded. <laughs> we need to find these. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I think Instagram like stores everything from way back, doesn't it? I should go back and have a look. I was so nervous. Like as soon as I hit record, I would just be like, hello, I don't know what to say and just super awkward. So um, it's definitely a skill 
that was acquired over time. Now I would pick up a camera in two seconds and film myself and wouldn't even refilm, check it or anything. I'm like, yep, that'd be fine because I'm putting my authentic self out there. But definitely not something that you start off being able to do. So if anyone's feeling super nervous about it, you've just got to keep going and then it just gets a little bit easier every time. Have you ever sort of experienced imposter syndrome in this business journey in any particular sort of environments or situations? And how how do you kind of overcome that and build confidence as a first time or second time founder? Yeah, I think I definitely had imposter syndrome in 2020. And I probably didn't realize it at the time. But now that I look back, I think that's why I lost confidence in telling my story and just basically said, I'm going to stop doing it. And once you stop doing something, it becomes so much harder to get back into it. So I was definitely suffering from that imposter syndrome in 2020, just being like, what am I doing? I'm working by myself at home trying to run this skincare brand. Like it was just absolutely insane. I think a huge way I've got over it. So I've been working with a business mentor that's definitely helped give me confidence to make me realise how competent I already am at things and then also to improve my skills. So you just spoke about the fact that you've really got to understand your weaknesses but lean into your strengths. And I think one of the sort of strengths that you brought to the table in the early days was your strength in terms of operations and building kind of the more operational side of the business. So I really want to talk about that for a second. So one area that you've kind of continuously worked on and refined over the course of the last three years is your margins, your profit margins. Can you talk a little bit about how you've done that? Yeah, for sure. I think focusing on the business, it was just because it was what I knew. So I felt like that was the transferable skills I could bring from my past experience with the skin clinic. So definitely been super focused on that. In terms of bringing down the cost of goods, I guess there's sort of three main ways I've done that. So the first main way would just be scales of economy. As you get bigger, your costs are going to go down. You're going to have new costs that pop up, but essentially if we're producing our skincare or our goods in a larger batch, it's going to bring down the cost per unit. So that's one way we've done so, just basically growing the business. The second way we've done so is uh, recently I went through with my business mentor, we looked at the cost of good of every single product because sometimes you think it's one thing, but then when you consider that you have to attach like some labor cost to something or when you actually look at the cost of good, it might be slightly different to what you were thinking. So we've gone through the whole range, worked out what percentages we were working on and we had some products that were lower margins. So our range of candles was lowest margin. It was bringing down the overall cost of good margins for the whole range. So we've gone through and discontinued those They also, I guess, weren't serving the purpose. Now we're going back to brand and thinking about what our purpose is and what we stand for. Candles wasn't a part of that. It was more just the opportunity was there and we went with it. But now we're discontinuing that to improve margins and improve our brand message. And the third way we've done so is by increasing the volumes of some of our products. So we've gone through our best sellers and we thought we don't want to put the price of our best sellers up for the customer. But if we need the margins, we're going to have to do so because we're producing in Australia and it gets expensive. So what we've done, I'll use the cleanser again as an example, our best seller. That one was in a 125 mil size. We increased it to 200 mil, so almost double the size. That way we're still only paying for one bottle, one pump, and we're just paying that little bit extra to fill the bottles more. And for the customer, it meant the price only went up $10, but they were getting almost double the product. So they were all stoked because they go through their cleansers so quick. They're like, that's amazing. It's double the size. It's going to be better for the environment because they're going to be using half as many bottles. And it was better for us that it improved our margin. So I guess it's a unique way of doing it in terms of just having a price increase. Have a think about how that price increase can benefit the customer in a way rather than it just being a disadvantage that the cleanser they love and are committed to has gone up $10 and they're getting nothing out of it. Whereas we said, let's put it up $10 because we need to, but we're going to give them almost double the product. So then, yeah, everyone's happy. Win, win, win. Yeah, win, win, win. exactly. <laughs> so how did you communicate that to your customers? 
Um, you definitely communicate it from the marketing sense of <laughs> we're not going to say, hey, we need to put the price of this product of course up. Not. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So we communicate it as a big, exciting launch, really. Like you've been asking for it. You're all saying you're going through your cleanses too quick. So we've gone and increased the size for you. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> I love that. Were there any products that you went through this exercise for where it wasn't a win-win-win in terms of you trying to bring the cost down, but that decision not benefiting the customer? Yeah, I guess the only one where we couldn't see it was going to be a win-win-win was the candle range. So that's why we just thought if it's not serving the business's core purpose and then it's not serving us, it's not serving the customers, we're better off just to go through and discontinue it, which is a little bit heartbreaking when you put so much work into something, but Mm. could see that it needed to be done for the future of the business. Yeah, yeah. What advice would you give to other founders who are looking at reducing their costs but not quite sure how to go about it or where to start? I think to reduce your cost, you need to know exactly what you're working with. So definitely do the spreadsheets of working out exactly what your margins are and what products are more profitable than others because you're never going to have like an exact cost of goods across the whole range. So definitely worth doing that exercise. And then talk to your manufacturer about it. Let them know that you are needing to reduce that cost of goods because you've got other expenses in business besides that and see how you can work with them. Is that what you did? You approached your manufacturers and they sort of worked with you to kind of come up with a solution? Yeah. So I approached the manufacturers and I explained we needed to reduce our cost of goods. And the best way to do that was to produce in the bigger batches. So that was something I had to look into doing, but then they were also helping us out by reducing the cost um, more significantly by doing that. So yeah, talk to everyone involved, talk to your manufacturers. If you have a business mentor, talk to them and just um, see different people, see different areas where things can be improved. So it's worth having the conversation. Definitely. And will this be an exercise that you'll have to go through again, potentially, if you are planning on going into retail? Because obviously that will change your, you know, margin structure. For sure. So a big part of doing this exercise was already thinking about retail. Future planning. (laughs) Future planning. As they say, if you know where you're going, you can get there. But if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. So we know exactly where we're heading. We've got a good idea of what sort of wholesale margins a retailer is going to need. So we're just getting a little bit ahead with all of that and getting making prepped. sure. Exactly. We've got all that sorted. So then if we do launch into a retailer, there's no not going to be any change to the recommended retail price for the customer. This is, not, this is a bit of a woo-woo question, but... Oh. How much does, I mean, you seem incredibly clear on the vision for Tribe Skincare. You seem very clear on your goals for 2021. How much does, I guess, like manifestation or visualization play into your success and being able to kind of continuously achieve the goals that you set for yourself? Does it play into it at all? Oh, 100%. I always work on it like my mindset myself. So instead of thinking I want to get into this particular retailer, I hope it happens. I'm just talking about it like it's already happened. So even when I'm telling myself, I'm like, when I'm in this retailer, this is how it's going to be. And every conversation I have with people, it's when we do this. And I mean, it might not happen, but hopefully talking about it that way is going to manifest it, um, but also just puts me on that path of thinking, this is what's happening. I'm going to do all the work and put everything in place. I don't have a plan B. I don't have a plan C, which um, is something that could be detrimental. Like my business mentor is like, come on, let's just come up with one. And I'm like, we'll come up with that in the future if plan A doesn't work but I'm just going for plan A right now. You're and making on it. Yeah. yeah. And you do essentially manifest it just by allowing yourself to believe that these things can happen. So we recently interviewed Elle Ferguson and she was telling us um, that she had some struggles finding a manufacturer in Australia that would take her seriously. Did you come up against any challenges while you were sourcing your manufacturer? Absolutely. I think I've basically looked at every skincare manufacturer in Australia by this point. Um, And we have different products that different manufacturers have the contracts for. So we just basically diversified. So if anything was to ever happen, 
we're not going to be out of stock of everything at once. Um, that was just a strategy that was recommended to me. And I've done that right from the beginning. But I think you're not going to go to one or two manufacturers and find someone that's perfect for you. It really is probably the biggest partnership you're going to make in business. So you might need to talk to 20 different manufacturers, get samples from a whole heap of different people. We've tried products. So essentially made up a brief and then got the samples back and just basically been like, what the F is this? Like, this is not (laughs) what we've asked for. And then we've had samples come back that like the first sample we're like, oh my God, it's perfect. Like it's ready. Let's do this. So it just totally depends. It depends who's going to sort of see your vision. And to do that, you've got to kiss all the frogs to get to the prince. (laughs) It's like dating. It's a dating game. It is. It is essentially like a date. It's like finding a boyfriend or (laughs) special partner. Like this is not going to (laughs) work. Yeah, exactly. And how, how important for you is it to manufacture in Australia? Yeah, I think it's super important. Um, I guess it's a big market trend. So in terms of that, it gets rid of that barrier for the customer because when we had our salon, people would come in and they would say, is the skincare Australian made? If the answer was yes, they were interested. And if we had have said no, they would have been like, oh no, I only buy Australian made. It is actually like a real movement and a barrier for people to um, purchase if it isn't Australian made. So it was important for that. And then just important for myself and um, my personal values. And then I guess I've put my personal values into the brand as well. I just love the consistency of it that when a customer comes to us, they know every single product's going to be Australian made. And it's same with our other values. So they know every single product's going to be vegan. Like we've got those strong brand values and then we've just stayed super true and consistent to them throughout the entire process. You're right in that Aussie beauty is a big, you know, Mm. movement and a big trend, not only for Australian consumers, but also for international consumers. Like products that are Australian made, as you would know, are really highly regarded. So I imagine there'd be quite a large international demand for Tribe Skincare. Is there? And why have you not pursued, I guess, international distribution yet? There's definitely a demand there for it. So I'm talking like all day, every day, we get emails and DMs on Instagram saying, can I purchase from this country? Can you ship to the US? Um, Definitely the US would be major demand for us. I think I honestly don't really have a good reason why I haven't done it, apart from the fact that I think there's so much left to achieve for us in Australia and New Zealand. So I essentially want it to be to the point that Tribe Skincare is a household name and when people hear the words sensitive skin, they automatically associate that with Tribe Skincare. That's what I want for the whole of Australia and New Zealand. And I just think if I go into international expansion, my time's going to be taken up with logistics of working out trademarks in other countries and if we were to, say, expand into the US, I would want the product in the US so the customers can have that great service of getting skincare two days after they order it because people can't be expected to be organised enough to order their night moisturiser three or four weeks before it runs out and that might be how long it takes to get to them. So I guess international expansion definitely is in the future. I just want to wait until I can do it right. So I think that would really mean getting a team member on board that purely deals with all the international expansion and logistics and making sure that all runs smoothly. I also don't want to go into the US and say we're now available here. We sell out in a week because we didn't have enough products. Like there's so much that has to be organized. And I think my passion stays in Australia and New Zealand. I might regret saying that in the future. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. You just reminded me of a conversation that we had with Jo Horgan, who's the founder of Mecca. And she said, you know, I've focused on Australia for 20 years. And she's like, my philosophy in business has always been one inch wide, one mile deep, meaning like focus on your niche and do it really well and be strict with that. And that sounds like exactly what you're doing. You are so clear. You're so focused on owning sensitive skincare in Australia and New Zealand and like just nailing it. And you are. I love that. Jo has a more articulate way of putting it (laughs) than what I did, but I think that's essentially it. It's just keeping that focus really narrow and there's 
all these shiny things. So I guess I'm kind of seeing international expansion as this shiny thing and everyone's like, do it, do it, the demand's there. But I'm like, but what about the demand of our customers that are already here in Australia and making sure we can serve them the best and expand on that market because it's not like every single person in Australia and New Zealand have used Tribe Skincare yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. Yet. <laughs> Would you ever take on external investment in order for you to be able to expand globally? I don't think so. And that might be another thing I regret saying in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just um very much like, I love that the business is dependent on just me. And I know that's probably crazy. Like I know that people like having partners and investors and sharing that load. Um, but I love it that it's just mine and it's solely like its success is completely riding on me. And I find that motivating and that if we did need money for international expansion, I would go, okay, what do we need to do? Let's save up that money. Like I'm always about saving in business so that we never come into any cash flow issues or don't get into this huge amount of debt. I think the business, because a skincare business has such good cash flow or a product business that people are essentially paying for the product and then receiving it, I just can't see a point where we would have to take on external investors. And that sounds complicated. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it is, but I like simple. Too hard for us. Imagine if I had to pitch to them. (laughs) I'd be terrible at it. And also, um, I can't remember who said this in a previous interview. Someone, maybe it was Kate Morris, Mm. but she said that you have to factor in that it will take around six to nine months worth of your time and that's someone working almost mm. full-time pitching and creating decks and crunching numbers and all that sort of thing to get cash in the bank. So, yeah. you know, it is no um, small kind of task, especially if you're a solo founder and you're doing a lot of things. So, Absolutely. Mm. And six to nine months, we could make some pretty decent cash in the business. I'm sure you could. <laughs> Support our dreams. Dad, girl. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> I love that. All right, let's ask about teams. How big is your team? So the team, there's just three of us that are like, I guess, on payroll. And then apart from that, everything's done by um, contracts and that kind of thing. So outsourcing. So yeah, just the three of us at the warehouse slash office slash shop, (laughs) whatever we want to call it, Tribe HQ. And what roles are they? What do you all play? What do you do? So I guess my role is director. So it's just a bit of everything. And then we've got Sandy, who's the marketing manager. She's come across from Mecca. So she's just amazing at all things skincare and makeup and beauty and just is completely exceeding all my expectations in her role. Like she's incredible. So, and then we've got Holly who is managing the warehouse. Fabulous. And so, so out the back with all the product side of everything. Love that. And ha- and um, tell me some of the roles that you outsource, some of the creatives you work with, what jobs are they doing? Yeah. So I guess the main ones we work with would be like our graphic designer every single day. We're working with her on something and then just all the things like bookkeeping, Um, My business mentor who helps me with everything now, (laughs) which has been amazing. If anyone doesn't have a business mentor, you need to get one. (laughs) Yeah, you've mentioned that a few times. What are some of the benefits of a business mentor? Because I know, you know, we have worked with some in the past. We run our own mentor program, the Brains Trust. And it's just so important to surround yourself with other people that, as Mm -hmm. you said, see things in a different way and add value to your business. So what are some of the benefits um, that have come from your relationship with your with your business mentor? Yeah, I guess the major benefit has been just having someone else looking out for the brand and looking out for me. So she's always looking for resources and sending them my way. And I feel like she is as invested in Tribe Skincare's success as I am and as invested in me as the founder. So just identifying things, I guess, from an outside perspective, but also from that business perspective that she can look at things and be like, okay, I'm watching your socials for three months and I haven't seen you as the founder talk about your story or something like that. And then I'm like, okay, this is a business brain who's watching and telling me this is what I need to do. So I guess it's just building that team of people around you to give you support and yeah, it really does just make you can support them and you feel supported in return having people around you. And how did you find her? Suzanne found me, which I'm very grateful for. So um, she just found me through Instagram. She had kind of just been watching the journey and what we were doing and um, just sort of started, I guess, offering 
advice completely free of charge, just like helping me out. And then I'm like, okay, we need to make this an actual thing because everything you say helps me so much. (laughs) And so how formalized, how structured is the relationship? It's formal in terms of we will have our sort of weekly or fortnightly meeting where we can go over things like spreadsheets, profit and loss, like all of the things you sort of need that formal environment for. But then it's very casual that I can chat to her every single day about anything I'm thinking about or any decision I'm trying to make that, um, yeah, it's, I've always got access to her. It's very important to have that sounding board, I think, you know, especially as a solo founder, because sometimes you can kind of get in your own head and, you know, Sometimes I have really great ideas and sometimes my ideas are completely whack. And like, (laughs) I have this idea and then someone like goes over it with me. And then at the end, I'm like, no, what was I thinking? (laughs) What are some of your like really wacky ideas? Wilder wacky ideas. You know what? It's more with like the actual skincare itself. Um, So thank God I've got a team of professionals that help me with that because I'll be like, say making an eye product and like oh let's make it smell like citrus that'd be so nice and then they're like no you don't put citrus on <laughs> your, your eyes, eyes. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh my god what was I thinking so thank god this is why you need people around mm. you so professionals that know what they're doing to kind of pick up your mistakes <laughs> so funny yeah citrus eyes oh I don't hate I don't hate idea, it either but I really I really like I really like limey, citrusy. Me kind too. Of, like, fragrances. Every single thing we're doing, I'm like, citrus? And they're like, no. No. <laughs> we have so much citrus and you can't use that for everything. So yeah. we've had to diversify. Your fragrances. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> but it's hard because we don't use any artificial fragrance. So we're actually super limited to what natural fragrance we can use that comes from essential oils. So that's why everything, I'm like, let's use the citrus oils. <laughs> and now we're getting a bit more creative about how we do that. <laughs> so mm. funny. At I'm least, so you know, at least you're getting creative. Like there's no such thing as a bad idea, you know? I agree. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think you've been so successful to date? What's your secret sauce? Ooh. The secret sauce is mm. the skincare. Ooh. What's inside the bottles. I truly believe that because when I look back at my three-year journey, I thought there was times when I didn't know what I was doing. And I have learned a lot in the three years. So I think now I'm the right person to be essentially the CEO of the business and drive it to its future success. But I think the thing that saved Tribe Skincare back when our branding wasn't as strong, our brand's message definitely, um, and the fact there was that big gap in the market is a huge reason for the success. And then just the fact that the skincare truly does what it says it does, because you need people coming back for more. I think if it was a brand where we said we'll skincare for sensitive skin, but then the customers were using it and getting reactions or finding they weren't getting the results, the brand was never going to last. So yeah, definitely having the actual integrity of the products there is what's made the business so successful. A shout out to a lady brain that's helped you on your journey. Gosh, there's um, so many that I would like to shout out to. I'll definitely shout out to the girls at Tribe HQ holding down the fort today. Um, So they're just amazing. I love that now I have that freedom as a business owner that I can go away for the day to do opportunities like this. And I'm not stressing at all about what's going on back there because I know they've got it covered. Um, shout out to my sister for being my advisor for three years. We I can't even count how many hours we've spent talking about all things Tribe Skincare, basically every waking minute that we're together. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to her and shout out to my business mentor, Suzanne, as well, who's come in at such a great time when I'm ready to take the business to that next level and just need that help to do so. So huge shout out to her. Beautiful. Love that. <laughs> And what's your best piece of advice that you can kind of tell us or share with us to pay it forward to all the founders that are listening? I recently got a great piece of business advice. This is from one of the marketing and branding experts we're working with. And it was when we were having a meeting talking about what the core of the brand is. And we're sitting around a table and we've got all our whiteboard texters and the whiteboard next to us. And He's like, what do you want to tell your customers? And I was like, I want them to know we're skincare for sensitive skin because I've always thought the brand is summed up in those four words. So he said, okay, this red texter is skincare for sensitive skin. I'm going to throw it at you and ask you to catch it. So someone throws a texter at you, you can catch the red texter. 
And then he's like, what about if I put this red texter in all the other coloured texters and I throw them all at you at once and tell you to catch the red texter? And of course, if you're having 10 texters thrown at you, you can't catch that one red texter you need. So I guess that was great advice for our messaging and our marketing and everything in the brand that you start to get busy and you want to tell your customers more and more things about the brand and all the awesome things you can do for them. But essentially, you've just got to go back to that one message. And if you want the customer to get that message, you need to just be throwing that one message at them the whole time, not 10 texters and asking them to catch the red one. Such a great, a great analogy. great analogy. How good is it? It's a love really, it. really I have never good heard analogy. That. It's yeah. so good. Just made so much sense. Like it connected. I'm like, that's what I'm doing. I'm throwing too many texters <laughs> at people and I just <laughs> need to throw them the red one. My poor customers. Just yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like you what's throw- going on? New product launch. <laughs> yeah. That's great. The only thing yeah. Anna throws at me was when you were throwing toilet paper at me yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> that's crucial at that the moment. Yeah, yeah, that, that was crucial. Yeah, that was. That was, yeah, yeah. It's in hot demand. <laughs> yeah. And then lastly, I know you're obviously heading into um, an exciting phase with the rebrand, um, but what else is next for Tribe? What's next for you? Well, I think definitely 2021 is going to be completely focused on that. So getting into retailers is as far ahead as I've looked at the moment. And then and now like my brain's thinking, hmm, do we move into international expansion? Oh, we were talking about now we're planting the seed. <laughs> yeah, but then I love Joe Hogan's advice to um, keep the message very narrow. So maybe I just keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Surviving the rebrand is next. Definitely not a holiday because um, no. we're not allowed to do that at the moment. So <laughs> what about long-term future vision? Like what is your big fuck off vision for this brand. Yeah, so I guess I definitely see the brand as one of the major Australian skincare brands. So that's essentially where we want to be. We're going to be one of the big players and um, yeah, be a household name that when people hear the words sensitive skin, they think tribe skincare just instantly. And I want everyone to have it in their house, of course. Love it. I love that. I love also how you just said, we're going to be. We're going going to be. be. We don't want to be. We're going to be. What a great place to end. (laughs) Love it. Thanks, Kayla. Thanks so much for coming. It's been great. Kayla, thank you so much for being on our show. As two massive brand brains, we really loved this discussion around the importance of building a brand that has purpose and meaning. In this day and age, to have a brand with staying power and to build one that stands out from a sometimes noisy crowd can be kind of difficult, but it's definitely achievable if you're clear on your brand purpose and your proposition from the outset. Secondly, help your customers understand who you really are by being clear on your messaging. How good was that texture analogy? We absolutely loved it. Are you throwing your customers one red texter or are you throwing them a whole damn packet? Make sure your messaging has a hierarchy so customers are really clear on who you are and what you stand for. And lastly, consider the value of getting someone external to help you. Building a business can be difficult and lonely at times. And having someone else in your corner to give you a fresh perspective, like a mentor or a coach, might be just what you need in order to take things to the next level. If you enjoyed this chat, you will love our others. Make sure you subscribe to our show. Just hit the subscribe button on your podcast app right now to make sure that you don't miss all of our new apps. We have lots of great content coming up. We hope you found this chat valuable. We'll be speaking about it over in our Facebook group, The Lady Brains Clubhouse. Come and join us. Lady Brains is hosted by Anna McKenzie and Caitlin Judd. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Matt Nikolich.